I'll better turn there as well, that'll help. Luke chapter 24, verse 13 onwards. The heading in your Bible is probably on the road to Emmaus or something similar. I've called today's sermon The Road to Missing the Point and you'll find out why in a sec. But the latter parts of the Gospels explain Jesus' appearances after he died. The twist in the tale was that he rose from the dead some 36-ish hours later after dying on the cross on the Friday afternoon. Sunday morning by the time the sun was coming up he wasn't in the tomb. And the Gospels explain a number of appearances on a beach by the lake, in a room, on a road, in a garden, meeting with his followers and going, it's me. Surprised? Shouldn't be, but you are. And here's one of those, on this road to Emmaus. Let's read from verse 13 through to about 34, I think we'll go for. Now that same day, this is talking about Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, their beloved Jesus, who they thought was it, died. Executed in a horrible way on the cross Friday afternoon. This is Sunday morning. On that same day, two of them, his followers, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked to discuss these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. Sneaky. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, which is what we now know as the Old Testament, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Emmaus, Jesus acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognised him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true! The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. Lord, this is your word. This is our revelation of you. This is living scripture. This is more than just history. And Lord, as we delve deep into what this passage means to us in the here and now, in our everyday lives, in our 
in our modern existence, Lord, may you speak to us by your Holy Spirit and reveal to us what we need to do with this. So, Lord, we ask for your help this morning. In your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. I've called this the road to missing the point. I'm not going to go through a whole load of points and subpoints and headings and three Ps to remember and an ABC. Just today, I just want to present a simple problem and the answer. Just two things today. What the main issue is at stake here and how that applies to us as well and what the answer is. Because have you, have you ever asked, why does my behaviour not change? Why do I keep doing the things I don't want to do? Why do I keep repeating the same legitimate mistakes? Why does my life seem to go round and round in circles? Why do I feel dry? Why do I not sometimes feel like I'm growing? Why can I not stop certain habits or actions that I know are destructive and I still can't get to, seem to get out of that habit? Any of those things can apply to us at different points of our lives, can't they? And the key is this, it's understanding the difference between information and a person. There's a difference between information and a person. You can have the information all you like and still miss the point. In December 1903, after several attempts, the famous Wright brothers finally got their famous flying machine off the ground. Finally! They did it! They flew for 12 seconds. 120 feet. Wouldn't get you anywhere near Spain, would it? 120 feet, 12 seconds. It was a massive achievement in the existence of mankind. The future was here. We'd flown and they were so excited. They wanted to tell their sister. So they sent a telegram to their sister Catherine. And it said, we have just flown 120 feet. We're just like if they gave the time. We've just flown for 12 seconds and we'll be home for Christmas. <laughs> she gets the telegram. She's thrilled. Man's flown. My brothers have done it. Rushes down to the local newspaper editor. Get this in print. This is amazing. And he reads it. He goes, brilliant. The boys will be home for Christmas. <laughs> He had the information and he missed the point. These two guys, Cleopas and his friend, don't know his friend's name. Cleopas and his friend, they're described as followers of Jesus Christ. They've known him, they've seen him, they've followed him, they're part of the gang, they know his other disciples. They're part of his circle. They followed him around. And they are travelling from Jerusalem to a village called Emmaus, seven miles away. So imagine, Canterbury is Jerusalem. Herm Bay is Emmaus. These guys are wandering up the Sturry Hill, talking about what not just, not, has not just happened recently, but what has happened this morning. This is Sunday now. These are some guys walking up Sturry Hill right now, talking about these amazing historical events that have been happening in Canterbury over the past weekend. And their great Messiah, who they'd hoped he was, has been killed in Canterbury by the Archbishop of Canterbury. Crucified, effectively, same thing. Crucified out, imagine it. <laughs> with his beard. <laughs> but hanging outside the cathedral, their great Messiah has been killed. And they're devastated. And throughout the Saturday, they are gutted. It's just the whole world has just been taken out from underneath their feet. I thought, was, I thought this was it. And he's dead. Got it wrong. And then this morning, while they're in Canterbury, they've been told by their friends... He's not dead. The tomb's empty. You can go and find out for yourselves. He's around. He's, he's wandering around amongst us. He keeps popping up in different places. He's alive. He's not dead. And Messiah is alive. And they think, brilliant, let's go to Herne Bay. 
That's what they're doing, the Wandering Up Story Hill thing. They're talking about all the events. We've heard everything from our friends. Isn't it amazing? Oh, I wonder what it means. Oh, you keep walking to Herne Bay to get an ice cream. What are they doing? Where would you be going? Back to Canterbury Court. Well, I'd like to think it was, but maybe I'm just as stupid as they are. I can't really diss them that much. I'll probably be doing the same thing. They're going to Emmaus, not to Jerusalem, where it's all happening and they're hearing reports. They've come from there. Why aren't they staying to check it out? It's the most earth-shattering news ever. As our Derek here says, the journey from the head to the heart can sometimes be the longest journey in the world. It happens to us, it's happened to these guys as well. We can hear amazing Bible truth week in, week out. Small group in, small group out. We can hear the MP3s of sermons. We can read the right box. We can watch God TV, whatever it is, and we can still be hearing this amazing truth and still be walking the wrong way. We can know our Bible inside out. If it stays as information, it's all for nothing. What does the Bible say that knowledge does to us? Knowledge puffs up. You just get a big bloaty balloon head that needs popping. If it stays as information, yeah, it's balloon. If it stays as information, it's all for nothing. The devil knows the Bible far better than I do. Sobering, isn't it? It's an easy mistake. It's important to learn the Bible. We need to know it. But if it stays there as information, we're still walking the wrong way. It's an easy mistake to, to miss the point. We can enjoy chewing over theology. And like I say, that's important. We should debate doctrine. But if we get so absorbed into the nuances of the Greek and what that really means, and we just end up dis- debating philosophy and going round and round and round in circles, what is the point? I love doctrine. But if that doesn't lead to worship, I'm walking the wrong way. I'm walking to Emmaus, not to Jerusalem. Anyone can get a certificate in Bible studies and not know the author of the Bible. When I hear the most amazing news ever, that I'm a human being who is selfish, who is marred by sin, no matter how much I like to pretend I'm I'm good or try to be good, there is still a part of me that is undeniably black. When I understand that truth as a human being, as a sinner, and yet God, who has every right to have nothing to do with me because he's so perfect, he cannot tolerate any form of imperfection, and there's a big separation, a wall of separation, it's called death, between us. He could leave it like that. And yet he chose to come to this planet in the form of one of us, live the perfect life we could not lead, die the death that I deserve to die in my place, took my sin on his shoulders as he went through that agony on the cross, and then three days later, rise up from the dead in victory over death, my sin obliterated, and all I have to do is put my faith in him for having done that on my behalf. When I hear that news... Am I not just like, I'm gagging to run after him? Or sometimes, do I still hear that and go, yeah, it's pretty good, isn't it? What's on telly? Still a danger. Still a danger. Let me tell you about my mum. She's going to kill me. When they first got one of their, their last car, I think it was, they get a new car every few years. They used to get it with this job and stuff. And one of the, the most recent one, I think it is, a built-in sat-nav. John's given up one with built-in sat-nav. He's downsized. A built-in sat-nav. Didn't really know how to use it, but thought she'd give it a go. On one of the first few days of owning this car, she was, they live in Croydon. Mum and Dad's still there. They live in Croydon. And she was travelling on her own to visit a friend in Sevenoaks. So it's not too far. Try that out the sat-nav. Plugs in the address. Boop, boop. Please take the second turn. Starts following it down towards the M25. And it tells her to take a certain turn. And she goes, well, that's not really right. I need to, it's a bit further on. She goes on a bit further. 
sat-nav adjusts itself, old Doris or whatever voice she had programmed into it, keeps turning, try and turn back if you can, love. <laughs> da, da, da. Could you take the next junction and then right-hand turn at the roundabout? No, 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 it's a bit further up. So she keeps going. And the sat-nav readjusts itself and keeps adding the mileage to the total distance. A bit longer and a bit longer. She keeps ignoring it. Take the next left, the next junction. You're going to have to turn around. Do a 360. Do a U-turn. Hello? She goes, no, I know better. And it wasn't until she ended up in Essex. <laughs> I'd have thought the Dartford Tunnel would have given it away. God love her. It wasn't until she ended up in Essex she thought, I'd better listen to the sat-nav. She promised me never to tell my dad, and I haven't. I've told you lot. <laughs> And the entire teaching team at City Church Canterbury as well, but I haven't told my dad, I've kept my promise. See, we can still hear the truth over and over and over and over again and still keep going the wrong way. I can believe, I can read in the Bible that God still heals today. And I can believe that. But do I take every opportunity to pray for people for healing? Not always. Do I really believe it? Do I really believe it? That's the problem. We can hear the information, we can hear the most astounding news ever and still be walking the wrong way. That sounds great, Steve. I get the problem now. I get the issue. What's the answer? The key is meeting the person, not just hearing the information. Did Christ just teach them events? Did he just teach them information? Did he make them learn a manual and then sit a paper? No, what did he do? Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, this is the scripture, the Old Testament as we know it, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures about how to live. No, concerning himself. It's about the person. He didn't say to them, let me show you how to live and then it will be all right. He said, let me show you what I've done. Blows everything else out of the water, didn't it? I'm trying, I was trying to work out how to relate this into uh, an everyday situation kind of thing, but celebrities, we can know a lot about a celebrity but not know them. Pierce Brosnan, you can look him up on Wikipedia and get to know his date of birth. You could read a real stalker, couldn't you? Get to know his date of birth, where he grew up, what his siblings' names are, what his mum's name is. You can read the articles, you can read the interviews. I met his mum back in the 90s. She used to serve me a cup of tea at the little friend's cafe in Nelson Hospital when he used to take patients in there. I met his mum. You could find out about what it was like when he was a cheeky little boy growing up. Little Irish lad. Pierce Brosnan. You can know all about him. It wasn't until I met... Sorry to name drop. It wasn't until I met him on a Bond set when I did some work on a James Bond film. It wasn't until I met him it takes it to a whole different level. Knowing all about him means nothing. But I got to have a conversation with him about his fishing weekend. That's entirely different, isn't it? And yet even that pales into insignificance to being a member of his family, seeing him day in, day out, behind the scenes, brushing his teeth, employing a gardener, deciding what to watch on Sky, getting angry when someone's left a mug out. I don't know, I don't know what it's like. But for example, it takes it to a whole different level. Knowing about someone is nothing compared to knowing them. It's a relationship, isn't it? And again, now taking this into what it means in our everyday spiritual life. Here's an example. I've always had very high standards for how I do things. I like to do things well. And it's always been, even when I was growing up, I've always never wanted to let people down. I've always wanted to have a high standard. They've asked me to do something. I want to do it exceptionally well. 
because it honours God and it's the right thing to do and it honours them and it's really important. And I want to arrive early for an appointment, not late, and so on and so forth. And have these high standards. I almost get a bit proud about it. Have these high standards, all because it's the right thing to do. And I know the Bible says I should honour people, and the Bible says I should do the right thing, and the Bible says I should be a man of integrity, and so on and so forth. But I didn't realise at the time, it's just partly fuelled by a fear of man. I don't want them to be disappointed in me. None of us are perfect, and I should be able to accept that. But no, I don't want to let them down. I don't want to let them down. I don't want to disappoint people. And also, because it was the right thing to do, I had the information that the Bible says this is how you should live, so I should live this way, and here's the do's and the don'ts. And it wasn't until... It, it knackers you out. You just get strained and exhausted living like that. And it wasn't until I recognised what the Bible informed me about Jesus, and when I get to meet him on that level, and I understand he approves of me. Even when he makes mistakes, he's like, it's okay, come on, I love you. When I know he approves of me, even when I fail to reach my previous high standards, he still approves of me. That never changes. And now I still like to have high standards and I still like to do the right thing and I still like to do things well, but not because it's the right thing to do, so that's what I must do. It's because he approves of me and I want to just bless him back. It's different. It's the same, but different. It's the information and the person, do you see? It's a relationship. I met a friend just this week who's been very burnt by people in the church, unfortunately, because she grew up in an environment where this is how you should live as a Christian and this is what you should do and this is what you should avoid. And as a teenager, she just got such guilt and shame about, I better not go out with them. We're only going to the cinema and it's only a you, but if they ever find out I've gone with them, they'll be just, I was supposed to hang out with Christian teenagers. And, blah, blah. and she just got so much guilt. Even now, she knows it's ridiculous and yet she still feels guilt about certain things and she's a woman, mum in her 30s. She, she says, I want to go back to church, but I just get palpitations about the whole thought of going anywhere near one. That's sad that the church does that. That's not what God wants. He wants people to meet with his son, not meet with a list of do's and don'ts. It's crazy. Meeting with Jesus brings a life change. It's the same but different. In every way, it's Christ the person who's the answer to your emptiness, to your loneliness, to your anger, to your resentment, to your fear of man, your need for approval, to your bitterness, whatever it is. It's Jesus. It's not living a certain way. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's him. Paul recognised this, the Apostle Paul. The letter to the Romans is a massively dense and amazing letter. I'm just going through it now. And it's just incredible. It's a treasure trove. But you can, it's so dense and so densely packed and you're trying to get your head around it, you can just always, always put you off sometimes. But there's two chapters in the middle. Chapters 7 and 8. They're almost like a mirror of each other. almost like on a hinge in the middle. Chapter 7 and 8 of Romans. Chapter 7, Paul explains what it's like living a life of the information and the do's and don'ts. And then he gives the flip side, the answer in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 7, he describes... I know what I'm supposed to do and I'm supposed to live like this and I'm supposed to do these things and I'm supposed to avoid these things and, and now I've got this neat tidy list so I know what's expected of me and I can meet those and he says I just get I'm, I'm trying to do the things that I want to do that I know are the right things to do and I end up not doing them hard as I like sometimes I hit the mark sometimes I don't and I just want to do the things I'm supposed to do and I can't and other times there's things I know I'm supposed to avoid there's things I want to avoid because I know they're bad for me and I still end up doing them. 
And right at the end of it, in verse 27, he uses this word wretched. He goes, wretched man that I am. He's not belittling himself going, oh, you div. What he's saying is this wretched means battle-weary. It's a soldier on the battlefield, exhausted after the fight. That's what wretched means. I am battle-weary. I've been fighting and fighting and fighting and it still hasn't clicked. What's gone wrong? I am shattered. He's on the battlefield, bodies around him, and he's just like, I can't do this anymore. That's what he's saying. But in Romans chapter 8, he gives us the answer. It's all about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit he mentions 19 times in that chapter alone. Spirit, 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 spirit. Do you get this? It's all about the Holy Spirit. It's about relationship, not a list. He says, this same Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead that Sunday morning when these guys were walking up Story Hill. It's the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. If you have faith in Jesus Christ as your Saviour, you have that same Spirit inside you right now. And he's available to help you, to talk with you. The life yielding to standards and expectations, just the information, leads to you being battle-weary and just walking in the wrong direction. And quite often, most of the time, oblivious to that fact. You're not even realising you're doing it. A life yielding to the Holy Spirit brings freedom, the person. We need the Holy Spirit for revelation. You can imagine, I was around the cooks last night, I saw their lovely fireplace they're going to be putting in, it's going to be lovely. You can imagine a beautiful fireplace, all restored, cleaned up, this is your spiritual life, cleaned up on the surface, looks fantastic. All the right do's and the right don'ts on the outside. You've got the perfect pile of newspaper and kindling and the logs all ready to go. Looks amazing. It's meant to be on fire. We need the Holy Spirit to ignite that. So what did these guys say when they realised it was Jesus? What did they say? Didn't our hearts burn within us when we were talking to him? Do you ever get that? When you're talking to Jesus, your heart just goes, oh, I need more of this. I've been missing this for so long, I need more. Why was I away? Why didn't I realise that was missing? Have you ever had that? That That should urge us to press in deeper. And it still doesn't sometimes, does it? We still miss the point. We have the Holy Spirit inside us. That does not mean that people who don't believe in Jesus, who don't have the Holy Spirit in them, can't ever do good. That's not true. And it doesn't mean that we as believers with the Holy Spirit in us can't ever do bad. That's not true. But there's a different leaning. There's a nudge. There's a check in your spirit, like Barb was talking about earlier. The Holy Spirit goes, think twice. Count to five first. If you have a tendency to launch out with your tongue, or to get angry, or to join in the gossip, or you can know it's not right to join in the gossip, but you still end up doing it. That's what Paul was saying. I still do what I don't want to do. But there's just that check in your spirit. And God the person, the Holy Spirit, goes... You don't need to. I approve of you. You don't need to gossip because gossip is usually putting down the other person and making you look bigger. And he's going, you don't need to. I think you're amazing. It's different. When God's getting your attention, listen to him. That brings freedom. If you really want to know God's heart, don't just rely on waiting for those checks and those nudges. They're important. But that can become subjective and that can go awry as well. We need the word of God. You want to know God's heart for you, get to know this, but not as information but as a revelation of the person, the author he reveals himself through this don't just know about him, get to know him through his word
And the Holy Spirit, as you ask him to help you, he will open your eyes to stuff. You can read verses over and over again over the years and all of a sudden, decades later, you see that verse in a whole new light and the Holy Spirit goes, ding, ah, never saw that before. You'll never exhaust the Bible. But what I love is that Christ meets us where we're at. Did he wait for those guys to get it, turn around, head back to Canterbury and go looking for him? No. Even while they were blind, so to speak, he went and found them. And he comes and finds us where we're at. He doesn't wait for us to clean our act up. He comes and meets us where we're at. Thank goodness. Otherwise we'd all be lost. It's the difference between information and a person. Do you see? The person comes looking for us. The danger is too many Christians are in-betweens. In-betweeners. We can be living in between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. We can believe in the power of the cross. We can believe that Jesus died for our sins. Our sins are forgiven. We'll go to heaven when we die. We'll live with him forever. We can believe that and still not enter into the power of the resurrection. The Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who raised him from the dead is the same Holy Spirit who resides in you. Release him. Let him do what he needs to do with you. Let him have a go. You'll be amazed. And it brings freedom. It is scary stepping out the boat. But it brings freedom. Have you encountered Jesus at all yet? Have you really met with Jesus the person? Have you learnt a lot about him but still failed to see that relationship ignite? You can meet with him here and now. This is Holy Spirit speaking to your heart right now, going, there's something here. This is what I've been looking for. Somehow my eyes are opening to something brand new here, a whole new dimension in this world that I've never discovered. I believe he's speaking to someone right now. But don't stay at Good Friday either. Jesus died for you. Enter into the power of the resurrection. He's alive and kicking. He's at the right hand of the throne of God, working on our behalf right now, and his spirit is here, available, ready right now. Let me ask one more question before I wrap up. Why did Jesus not just make some big public appearances during the daytime in Jerusalem? Saturday was the Sabbath. This was now the Sunday. Back to work. That market would have been bustling. Why didn't Jesus turn up in the market in front of thousands of people and go, Oi! Surprised? Why didn't he do that? Why didn't he go to Pontius Pilate and his wife and go, come and have another go if you think you're hard enough? (laughs) Didn't work, did it? Why didn't he go to the temple authorities? Why didn't he go to the high priest? Why didn't he go to the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and goes, didn't work. Try again. I'm the king. Why? He didn't. Why didn't he do that? Because I believe Jesus is more interested, he's less interested in public appearances and he's more interested in private realities. Who did he meet with? He met with the griever in the garden, Mary. Mary, it's me. He met with Peter down on the beach. He met with the workers in the office. The fishermen were out in their office, out on the boat, fishing. And he goes, guys, it's me. He met with the doubter in the church meeting. Thomas was still doubting. He's like, until I see him, I ain't going to believe this stuff you're telling me. And that following Sunday, the first official church meeting, if you like, Sunday means Sunday service, Thomas was there, Jesus turned up. Here I am. He 
he met with two guys who were lost on the road, oblivious to the fact that they were walking the wrong way, and he went and found them. He met the Christian killer on the rampage. Saul became Paul. He didn't wait for Paul to clean his act up and reinvestigate the scriptures and realise Jesus was it after all. He went and found him on the road to Damascus. He got a hold of him, turned his life around through a relationship with him. Saul became Paul. Thousands of lives were changed as a result then. I'd suggest as a result of that, millions of lives are changed now. The gospel swept across the continent because Jesus went to find that one man. He meets with us where we're at. He, he met with an 11-year-old boy on holiday in Spain and he still meets with me now. He's interested in private realities, not public appearances. Wherever you're at right now, whatever it is you're facing, whatever it is you're not facing, whatever it is you're struggling with, whatever it is you're not struggling with, he meets with you right here, right now. You see, two guys had heard the most astonishing news ever and they were walking the wrong way. And the Gospel, the news of Jesus Christ, the eternal God, who took our place, is there to rescue us. All you have to do is place your faith in him. Just believe it. And say, I'm done with my old life. I recognise, in light of you, I get that's dirty. Even what I thought were the little things that didn't matter. Everything pales into insignificance in light of you. I get that. Help me. I'm going to stumble, but I need your help. I want to turn away from that. Help me. Not a list of do's and don'ts, but you, the person, Jesus Christ. I want to follow you now. It's one thing to hear the information, it's a whole other to meet with that person that it's about. Information just bloats us. But a person brings life and transformation. So thank God he meets us on that road. Do you want your eyes to be opened? Theology is important, but it should lead us to worship. Science is important, but as the Western world, secular world at the moment, seems to think science is there to marvel at how clever we are at working things out. Actually, science is there to help us marvel about how amazing God is, what he's done and what he continues to do, what he created and what he sustains. Science is brilliant. Don't discard science from a Christian point of view either. It's fantastic, but it should lead us to worship. Do you know the facts but lack the relationship? Invite the Holy Spirit in, meet with him, talk to Jesus. This is relationship. Are you battle-weary from striving, from trying to tick the boxes, from trying to look right on the outside? Are you exhausted inside? Are you shattered on the battlefield? See, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Mm-hmm. It's one little question as we end. What's your prayer life like? It's a question for me too. I don't know anyone who wants to pray less. Prayer isn't coming to God like Father Christmas with a shopping list. Prayer isn't doing your daily five-minute duty. Prayer is a relationship. This talking with him. Prayer is submission. Going, God, I don't get this, but I need your help. You can ask him for things. He says in his word, come and ask me. That's fine, I'm your father. As we were talking earlier about God cares. He's interested in us. He wants to talk with us. While you're reading his word, pray and talk with him. You don't have to use a special language or certain keywords. It's not a magical incantation. It's just conversation with God, which is mind-blowing in itself. It's relationship. 
We're called to be not a church with prayer meetings, although they're important, but ultimately we need to be a church of prayer. It's relationship. What would you rather do? Would you rather talk about the risen king or would you rather talk with him? We're good to pray. I believe God's spoken to some people, if not all of us here this morning. Would you like all, if you're able to, would you like all to stand, actually? I don't want to single people out, but it's important that people make a decision to stand before him. If we all do that, no one feels anyone's looking at them. But if God's spoken to you this morning, let your stand be you standing before God as an action and saying, God, I'm here, I'm weak, I'm broken, I can't get it right, but I know you can. Help me to build my relationship with you. Lord Jesus, we need you. Lord, we are lost mankind without you, separated from the Father. But through you, you have punched a hole in that wall of sin that will never, ever fill back in because of your work on the cross. And we can enter into the presence of the Father, perfect God, made perfect by you. And Lord, you didn't stay dead. You rose again by the power of the Holy Spirit. That you are alive, that you are at work on our behalf right now. And you want to speak with us, you want to sit down with us, you want to play with us, you want to work with us, you want to enjoy life with us. You want to set us on adventure, you want to set our feet on the road in the right direction, heading into an adventure with you. But Lord, we find that hard. And we need your help. Those of us that have stood because it's more than just being asked to stand, it's because we want to stand before you as a decision. Lord, we welcome your Holy Spirit in. We say, come Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We love getting to know about you, but let it not step, stop there. We want to get to know you. Help us as we study your word. Help us as we debate what it means with our friends and family and brothers and sisters here as we look it up on the internet, as we read the books. Lord, it's good to study. It's good to try and get our heads around it, but Lord, let it hit our hearts so that they burn within us. And we can't help telling other people out there, do you know what you're missing? Come on in. But we need your help to do that. Holy Spirit, come upon us now. Thank you, Lord Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. 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 And take your seats again. If God has said anything specific to you and you want prayer about anything, come and find myself, John, David, one of the ladies, whoever's appropriate to pray with you, we'd love to. But again, don't walk away from here and end up going in the wrong direction. Run to him. Thank you, guys. Teas and coffees.